It's the Farmer to Farmer podcast, episode 107, and this is your host, Chris Blanchard. My guests today, Hans and Katie Bishop, raised 15 acres of certified organic vegetables at Prairie Earth Farm in central Illinois, marketing about $250,000 worth of produce through a farmer's market, CSA, and wholesale outlets. With about 50% of their sales going through one farmer's market in a mid-sized city, Katie and Hans had a lot to say about how they make that work, from the details of their display and market stand setup, their digital checkout system and the value its data brings to their farming operation, and their farmer's market magic sauce, the passion that Katie has to connect with their customers. Katie digs into the nuts and bolts of how she connects with customers at farmer's market and through social media. Hans started growing vegetables at his family's operation in 2009, while he and Katie both lived in the city. Over several years, Hans made the transition to full-time farming, and then Katie followed, and then they moved out to the farm. Hans and Katie share how they knew it was time to make the various transitions, how they prepared to make those changes, and how they divided up the responsibilities on the farm. Hans and Katie also provide an honest look at the challenges of farming together and of bringing a spouse into an ongoing operation. We also dig into the shipping relationships that help Prairie Earth Farm dig into the Chicagoland market, how they've mechanized their operation to retain and attract good help, and how they've changed and continue to improve their employee management practices. I'm also excited to share that Hans and Katie were selected as the 2017 Moses Organic Farmers of the Year, an award that recognizes organic farmers who practice outstanding land stewardship, innovation, and outreach. And before we get started today, I'd also like to share that by the time this episode goes live, the Farmer to Farmer podcast will have been downloaded over 1 million times. That's something I simply could not have imagined two years ago from the day this episode goes live when I was recording intros to the show in the middle of the night at a hotel across the street from the Moses Organic Farming Conference. Thank you so much to all of you listeners, all of my guests, and all of our sponsors for the show. Every one of you has added tremendous meaning to my life and my work, and every one of you has made this show possible, made it what it is today. And especially thank you to my family, namely my wife, Angie, who has put up with late nights, technical problems, and my stubbornness when it comes to getting episodes out on time, even when it makes no sense at all. Your love and support through this and everything else we've been through, baby, means the world to me. And to my daughter, Isabel, who's been through at least a thousand sound checks and who periodically ends up making me dinner while I'm editing. And also to my assistant, Carly, who makes everything go live week after week. Okay, I'm done. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The Farmer to Farmer podcast is generously supported by Farmers Web, making it simple for farms to work with wholesale buyers such as restaurants, retail stores, and schools. Farmers Web software streamlines your wholesale operations, making it easier to work with your buyers and with more buyers overall. FarmersWeb.com and by Vermont Compost Company, founded by organic crop growing professionals committed to meeting the need for high quality compost and compost based living soil mixes for certified organic plant production. VermontCompost.com and by BCS America. BCS two wheel tractors are versatile, maneuverable in tight spaces, lightweight for less compaction, and easy to maintain and repair on the farm. Gear driven and built to last for decades of dependable service. BCSAmerica.com Hans and Katie Bishop, welcome to the Farmer to Farmer podcast. Thanks, Chris. Hey, Chris. It's great to be here. So glad you could join us today. I would like to start off, as we usually do, by having you give us the lay of the land there at Prairie Earth Farm in Atlanta, Illinois. You know, how many acres are you guys farming? Where where exactly is Atlanta, Illinois? And and how are you guys marketing your produce? The farm itself is 300 acres. We own about 50 of it, and the rest is rented. Uh, it's been rented since before my time and uh, staying in the family as far as a renting agreement is concerned uh, for the foreseeable future. So we do 15 acres of vegetables and my dad does about 200 acres of 
organic corn and soybeans, and the vegetables are certified organic as well. Um, and the rest of the land is not tillable in pasture, which we have cows or we make hay on. Um, and my, by we, I mean my dad does that. So um, yeah, he's been he's been farming since the late 70s when he purchased the owned land, and it's the farm that I grew up on. So I've got a lot of history here, and Atlanta is located in the heart of central Illinois, pretty much right in the middle between Bloomington and Springfield. Uh, so we've got a pretty good area to market. Uh, we do sell wholesale in um, Bloomington, Champaign-Urbana, and Springfield. Uh, we have a 150-member CSA, mainly in Bloomington, and a few members in a small town of Lincoln, which is the county seat of the county that we're in. Then we do a farmer's market in Bloomington uh, as well. And we also sell to a few distributors uh, in Chicago. So we're kind of spread out as far as our marketing is concerned uh, as well. How does that marketing divide up when, you, when you're looking at your markets? How much CSA, how much wholesale, how much is going into um, into farmer's market? So we are about 50% farmer's market. Uh, about 25% CSA and 25% wholesale. It's, it's a really clean, even divide. I feel like a lot of farms that have CSAs, that that tends to be the, the major portion of their operation. And then the other pieces kind of fill in around that, even if it is you know a 50-25-25 split. But to have that 50% in farmer's market, that's a really, that's a pretty heavy emphasis on the farmer's market side of things. Yeah, it is. We have a great, great farmer's market in Bloomington um, and a really strong following and support there. So we're also able to charge a pretty fair price for our produce at the market, which helps, obviously. So we continue to put a lot of effort into that market just because it brings in so much business. So tell me a little bit about Bloomington. How big of a town is that? Bloomington is about 120,000, I guess, with normal Illinois. They're the smaller version of the Twin Cities. At least that's what they're called around <laughs> here. So it's the Twin Cities. But <clears throat> it's about uh, that. Uh, we at Katie and I actually both worked at uh, State Farm, which is where we met. The corporate headquarters is there in Bloomington. They employ about, uh, what, 12, 13,000 people. So that's a pretty significant chunk. And there's also Illinois State University there. And uh, I don't even know what, how many people they employ, but that certainly, I think, helps with um, awareness of the importance of organic food and organic agriculture in our community. With those three outlets, Farmer's Market, Wholesale, CSA, do you mind sharing about how much you're grossing every year? We gross $250,000 across the board with all of those things uh, or with all of those outlets combined. So, so you guys, you have the farmer's market going out on, on Saturday. What are you guys doing for the CSA? Is that a straight box plan? We do a market style pickup. So basically Katie and I always do the CSA pickup. It gives the CSA customers a chance to interact and talk with us. And um, we basically set things up just like we would at farmer's market instead of price prices or whatever that are on our boxes. It'll say, you know, take a, take a bunch of carrots or a bunch of beets and um, folks can pick which specific bunch of carrots they want 
or which bunch of beats that they want. And we also, at the end of the line, offer uh, an exchange table. So we'll we'll bring like six or eight different things, and uh, they may or may not be in the share that week. Um, and then somebody, if they don't like beats, they can swap them out for something else. It's never a guarantee as far as what's on there, but it's also a good barometer to see if everybody's getting tired of kale, if there's a, a table full of kale. So. Yeah, but it's usually like fennel or collards <laughs> that always end up on our exchange table. And kohlrabi, that one's always on there too. Well, and rightfully so. <laughs> it is a good way to kind of see what people are interested in or what things they're taking taking first. But we're really excited. Actually, just yesterday, we found and purchased a refrigerated truck, like a real refrigerated box truck. And that goes towards our goal of offering some home delivery options for our CSA members this year. So we're pretty stoked about that one. And how many CSA members do you guys have? Um, during the regular season, we do 150 for our summer share. And then we have two winter CSA programs that each have between like 40 and 60 members. And with the winter CSA, are you guys doing a lot of season extension or is that mostly root crops? It's mainly root crops, uh, although we do have about 10,000 square feet of high tunnels. And um, usually we try to sell out or market all of those through the first CSA extension early in the year or late in the year, I guess it actually is. So we try to be done with season extension by Christmas time. So that way we're not out there covering and uncovering things in the greenhouse or trying to baby stuff along. So it makes it through a really cold snap. I want to pivot back to the farmer's market a little bit because I know Katie, you've been doing a lot of work on, on outreach to other farmers about your guys's farmer's market set up lately and, and how you make that work. And with it being such a big part of, of a pretty big operation, I mean, you know, if I'm doing the math, right, that'd be about $125,000 a year that you guys are making at a farmer's market in not a giant city. What's your magic sauce? <laughs> uh, well, I think um, a lot of it just comes from uh, a real strong passion to connect with all my customers. And that's the message that I, I share with all of my members. You know, there's so much, um, there's so many attempts from major corporations and grocery stores to try and make it seem like they're providing local food. And the only way as small farmers that we can combat that is to really exemplify the relationships that we can build with our customers. So I don't know. I think my secret sauce, as you put it, is just, I know my customers' names. You know, like I, I, I identify my core group of customers um, and then I make sure and connect with them in lots of different ways. You know, I'll have a customer come up that I know really likes heirloom tomatoes. And so I'll give them an heirloom tomato that's new for us and ask them to tell me what, what they think about it, you know, or, um, I know their dogs' names and their kids' names, and I connect with them on Facebook, and I just build relationships with people, and they're genuine relationships. Like I'm really grateful for them supporting our farm and being enthusiastic. You know, it's, I'm not forcing it, but I pay attention to them, and I think that's really important um, to building a real loyal following. So at the Bloomington Market, you and Hans are there every weekend. Yeah, just, Hans doesn't really want to be. <laughs> Uh, but I love it. <laughs> um, I do. I love it. It's uh, it's a great way for me to get to see 
the immediate, you know, payback when, when customers are totally excited about what you're bringing them. So yeah, we're definitely there and, and we're engaging with them um, constantly. So I always make sure I'm either I'm checking out or I'm available to, to answer questions about the produce. And when one of us, when one of us aren't there, you know, if we have something going on and we can't be there, which is only about once a year, but when that happens, um, our customers ask, you know, where's Hans at? They're looking for him. And the same for me. I know they're looking for me too. So, Does Hans sit there with a grumpy look on his face? Like, I don't want to be here. Or does he actually get up and engage? <laughs> um, no, he does. I mean, he just has that look that's Hans, you know, he's there. <laughs> he's, he's, getting better. <laughs> he's getting better. He is. He's engaging with the customers a lot more. And I mean, they know, they know he's a lot more introverted than I am. And they're, they appreciate Hans for Hans. So. It's definitely a step outside of my comfort zone to be around that many people. And usually by the end of the day, I'm pretty drained because it just sucks the energy right out of me. But it's funny because I can come home after the farmer's market um, and still be able to do, you know, field work that needs to get done that maybe didn't get done during the week or something. And I've got an unlimited amount of energy to do that. So, yeah, it's a, it's a different kind of energy flow, I think. Right. So what else? I mean, I mean, Katie, you talk about, you talk about building relationships and, and, and obviously, I mean, at farmer's market, I think that's a little bit different than CSA because, you know, you don't have the same people showing up every week and they haven't made the same kinds of commitments, but it also is something that takes it takes time and energy. It takes work. Um, how do you find the time and energy to do that? And and does it fit into a system, or is it is it just more as on a on a because you're extroverted and and you're a, you're a sensitive person, you just tend to you just you just get in the groove with it. Mm, I think I think it's a little bit of both. You know, I I um, hunt jokes that I'm always on my phone, but the truth is I do make a lot of time for that connection, whether it's you know, it's email or Facebook or Instagram or whatever. So that is something that's just natural for me. I enjoy connecting with people that way. Um, but I found something that I really like to do, but I have to make time for it is to handwrite thank you cards. So I think it's really powerful um, for a customer to receive a handwritten personalized thank you card from us. And so I have to make a point to do that every week and identify the people I want to connect with and write that out. So that's something that's scheduled into my week. But otherwise, I think everything else is just just really natural for me. And when you talk about connecting with people through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, are those your personal accounts or have you set up a, a separate community for Prairie Earth Farm? Well, I have a separate community for Prairie Earth Farm. I've got multiple different <laughs> communities. You know, I have the, the standard business page for the farm and then I have um, groups private groups that I've created for my customers. But I also have found that a lot of my customers want to connect on my personal pages too. So it's kind of become an extension of that. Have you found any challenges with that, with, with having to have that dividing line between your personal and your professional stuff? Oh yeah. Especially this year with politics. Um, I've, I've wanted to be a lot more opinionated than I actually have been because I'm trying to be aware of, of my customer's perception of me. So um, I actually created a separate Instagram account that isn't really public so that I can kind of have my own identity separate from the farm. Um, and that's helped a little bit 
but it, you know, I, it doesn't hurt that I'm not sharing political stuff. <laughs> it's probably helped me stay just a little bit more sane anyway, but I definitely have to be aware of it. So one of the things that I've seen on your noticed on your social media is that you guys do a lot of graphics. I mean, you, you know, you take a picture and then you, you know, you've got words pasted over that uh, in various fonts. You've got things that um, you've got little, uh, you know, make it a local Thanksgiving uh, graphics that you've put together. I mean, go, it goes beyond just adding words to pictures. And I, I really like that. What are, what are you using to get that work done? Yeah, it's really important because they say you have less, less than half a second of your audience's attention on social media. So you got to use a photograph. Um, and they, and a lot of times people don't read the text in the actual message. And so putting it on the photograph helps. So I use an app on my phone. It's a free app called Pronto, I believe. Um, I don't know if it's available for Android, but I know it is for iPhone. The best one, right? And then um, on my computer, I use a program called PicMonkey. It's P-I-C Monkey. And I believe it's like $30 a year and you can, you can create graphics or edit photos. Yeah, that seems like, I mean, that kind of an investment's nothing for what you guys are getting out of it. And clearly you're using that right. to a really good effect. Yep. Yeah. And you, I mean, obviously you could use Photoshop or similar programs like that. It's just, there's a really high learning curve and PicMonkey is really, really easy to use. Um, so that's why we went that way. Right. Really appreciate that suggestion, Katie. And Hans, do you participate in that online community or is, is that really something that's in Katie's bailiwick? That's really something that Katie has worked on and gotten really good at. Um, <clears throat> it's cool to take pictures of equipment and share them with, you know, maybe a, a community, uh, small farming group or something that I'm a part of on Facebook, but I'm, I'm not the one that's connecting with customers. I don't think that's my, uh, forte. And, uh, yeah, it, it's just a lot better coming from Katie because she knows how to connect with the people that are buying our produce. And, and connection and relationships are, are good and they're important, but of course you have to back that up with, with produce, right? Um, are you guys doing anything special with your displays or with, with your, your actual setup of your market stand? Yeah, we're very thoughtful about what we, what we do at the, at the market. Um, so, I mean, there's a, a lot of different things, but I create my store like, or I, exactly. I create my farmer's market stand like a store. So everything has to be very clean and tidy and it, it looks abundant and um and unique i don't want my stand to look like everybody else's stand because our stand kind of becomes our personal brand it's our trademark and so i want people when they come into my stand and they purchase a bunch of kale i want them to go home and then they're going to really love that kale and i want them to remember to come back to me and buy it again and so i can't look like everybody else i have to look you know different what do you do to look different how do you make your farm stand look unique um, our, our stand, we definitely use color a lot. So our vegetables are displayed with some thought about how we're staging them. And so we're not going to have just a wall of, of green, you know, we're going to throw in some scarlet turnips and some purple kohlrabi and, you know, just, we use color a lot in how we display things. Um, we also keep it vertical. So we use double stacked wooden crates, um, so that people can see it from across the street. I really, really hate 
displaying produce in the harvest tubs that you know you're using out in the field especially if they're just laying flat on the table because people can't see them when they're walking by so why would they want to stop um, we cover our tables because our tables are really funky and dirty and I don't want my customers to see that so we cover them with burlap tablecloths and then uh, you know the farm has got so many cool aesthetics to it you know old enamelware pans and and egg baskets and all kinds of stuff and so we just use that to create that farmer's market vibe at our stand. So do you guys use a, a linear setup or all your tables lined up in a row? Do you guys have a something where people are kind of invited in and under the tent? How do you have that arranged? Yeah, so we, we put our tables towards the back of the of the tent so people can walk in. Again, kind of create it like a storefront. Um, we're not standing in the way of our produce or our checkout area is not blocking the, the produce because, again, we want people to see it from across the street. And so we have it set up so people can come in and, and shop like they would at a store. We also take up a lot of space. I mean, we invest in extra market space so that we can spread out and people don't feel cramped in our spot. So, um, you know, in the early spring when we don't have a ton of produce, that means we can do extra things. We've, we've brought a tractor. We brought Hans's G in one time on a trailer and let kids climb on it and get their picture taken. So we, we use that extra space as much as we can. I really like that. And I mean, I, I see a lot of times on the, on the online groups, people will be complaining about how much the fees are at farmer's market. And I'm guessing that you guys just don't care that much about that. If you're buying up extra space, you don't need every week of the year. Oh, it's so cheap. I mean, again, this is my store. If I was going to rent space in an actual brick and mortar store to sell my produce, it would be way more expensive than what I'm paying in my fees for the market. I mean, I think it's a steal for us personally. Um, plus, I mean, you just factor that into your budget, right? So I make sure that I make that back when I'm paying in, in my market fees, I make back over the next, like the first two or three markets, actually. One other thing that we did, Chris, was we went through a pretty extensive like branding project last year. So we developed a new logo uh, that's uh, very, that, that stands out. Nobody else at the farmer's market has that. And there was also some pressure to, come up with, uh, you know, customized twist ties if we were selling into grocery stores. So we've just brought that along with us to the farmer's market as well. So when somebody stops at every stand and maybe buys a little something from everybody and they really like our kale, they can see right there that it's a Prairie Earth Farm twist tie and they can remember exactly where that came from. So we're just finding other ways to, you know, try to stay in our customers' minds, you know, throughout the week as well. Are there a lot of other certified organic vegetable farms at the farmer's market? There's one other certified organic uh, farm at the farmer's market selling produce. And I don't think there's anybody else who is certified organic selling meats or other products. And have you found that to be an important distinction at market? Yeah, we actually just got an email today asking about our CSA program and she wanted to make sure that we were certified organic. She said um, that she was just diagnosed with stage four breast cancer and she was changing her eating habits. And so that was really important to her. I mean, that was a pretty powerful email to receive. <laughs> and um, 
and really kind of solidifies our why, you know, like, why are we doing this? And so I was excited to be able to respond back and say, yep, you know, we definitely are organic and here's our certification to prove it. Yeah. I know that, 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 that stamp of legitimacy can be a really important part of the of certification. You know, it just, it, it, it may not matter to everybody, but for those people that it matters to it, it just, it clears things up and it answers all the questions. Right. The more that we've sold into wholesale markets, certainly been a benefit to us to have that because Katie and I aren't there to back up our product. Um, you know, when it gets dropped off, cause we use another, we use somebody else to take our products to Chicago for us or even in the store when in, in Champaign-Urbana or Bloomington, when somebody's, you know, picking up a product of ours, we're not there to say, yeah, this is how we grew it. So having that certified organic um, or having the organic certification uh, has really helped us more quickly move into that wholesale marketplace. Yeah, but I will say the chefs, our chefs that we work with, they don't really seem that interested mm -hmm. in the certification. I mean, I think they want it to be grown sustainably or organically, but they definitely don't appreciate maybe the price increase because it's certified organic. I think for restaurants, it's a lot harder to have that label carry through to the final customer. You know, whereas a, like at a grocery store, yeah. I mean, it's right there. It says, hey, I'm certified organic. It's It's much more difficult in a menu to be like, Oh, we've got certified organic carrots from Prairie earth farm. And, and then we've got beets from someplace else. Yeah. I, um, I think it, it, the certified organic part doesn't tell the story necessarily that the chefs need it to as much as it does, you know, local farmer from down the road. Beets. So, and I want to come back to, to the wholesale marketing in just a second, but I've got one more question about the farmer's market, which is with the amount of money that you guys are putting through there in a year, do you have a checkout system or are you guys working out of aprons like like we always did at my farmer's market stand oh god no we are terrible at math and and making change no 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 um we use a square system so we have ipads just some older ipads that we had loaded on with the square software that allows us to take credit cards and they have a free um program it actually has pictures of the items so you don't even have to you know, you don't even have to type in kale. There's a picture of kale and you press the kale button and it rings it up for $3. And it makes the change, which is nice. Uh, but most importantly for us, it provides excellent records. So I can see um, I can see how much of what I'm selling and when. I can see how many transactions, what my average transaction amount is at any given time during the market. Uh, it provides receipts for my customers, but if they use their credit card, um, it also allows me to have record of them so I can contact them over email or text. So it has marketing features. Uh, and then it also allows you to use gift cards, which we use for another CSA program that we have, a market buck style CSA program. So we can't live without that software. It's really, really important to us doing business at the market. When you talk about all of the data that it collects, especially the sales data, is that information that you've turned around and used? I mean, things like how many transactions you're doing per hour at the farmer's market. Is that, is that something that, that actually has, has had some practical manifestations in your operation? Well, well, definitely for staffing the market, we can tell when our busier times are. Um, but for the average amount per transaction is a, is a really big number for us because I can kind of gauge 
based on the items that we're bringing, how successful it is. So for instance, if I, if I make a little uh, soup kit, right, and it costs $7, I probably, my average amount per transaction is going to go up when people are buying that versus just buying a couple pounds of potatoes and maybe a carrot, right? So it's increasing that average amount per transaction up. Or if I put garlic by the checkout stand, um, those are the types of things where I can kind of watch and see how they're changing that average amount per transaction. So rather than just using your impressions, you're actually able to look and review the data on that. Right. Nice. Right. That's really nice. It works good too for, it works good too for harvesting for the markets and such. So we can see, you know, after Labor Day that trends are going down and we go from selling, you know, 200 bunches of carrots at market to 150 towards, you know, the middle of September to 100 towards the first part of October, and we can plan those trends or plan for those trends. And um, we can see when certain things usually come in from the field and when we have our first zucchini or whatever of the season and try to, you know, tweak some production to maybe get it a week earlier than we had it the week before or not the week before, but the year before. So it's, it's also good from the production side of things too. Oh yeah. Like I, I think, you know, in the middle of the season, there's produce going in so many different directions, you know, wholesale CSA market. It's kind of hard to keep track of, um, of where it's all going. And it was, I think this year we looked back and we realized we're really not selling very much eggplant at the market. I, I don't know that we would have known that if we weren't keeping really good records about what we were bringing and what we were selling. We're, we're going through as much eggplant as we are because we keep, fortunate on our CFA members. And I think we're selling a little bit of it wholesale, but without having that information, we wouldn't know that we really need to scale back on how much eggplant we're growing. Is, is having people go through that checkout process, does that slow you down? I mean, I know one of the things that, that I really liked about, about the, the farmers, I know that one of the things that I really liked about just using the, the money belt, right? Is that I could just sit there and I mean, we could make transactions just as fast as I could go. I didn't have to wait. I didn't, you know, I didn't have to, I didn't, I wasn't limited by the number of iPads that I had on my stand. Everybody who was there could, could check somebody out. Does, does it end up being a bottleneck for you guys or is it, is it just fit smoothly into your workflow? Um, it can be a bottleneck definitely, but it, it's more about how many items need to be weighed and less about how long it takes to use the iPad. That is actually really quick, just entering in the amount. Um, they make the system so efficient to use. But what slows us down is when we have, you know, 10 different things that have to be weighed and they all have a different price per pound. So you can't just pile them all up on the scale at, you know, $2 a pound and have the total. That actually slows us down a lot. So we're trying to do more um, pre-bagged items, you know, like three pounds of of potatoes and a quart of carrots instead of doing it just single by the pound. I feel like sometimes it was more of a bottleneck when we had other people helping us check out and they were trying to figure out what the price was for things because, you know, when somebody works uh, one market a week or something and they're not making the prices like Katie and I are, uh, they had a hard time remembering Maybe somebody isn't quite as good at, with math, so they can't make the change as fast. But having the iPads there, it's, somebody pays with a 20 and it's 1777 is their total, then it automatically 
scoots back a number for the change. And I think we're actually, in some instances, save time. So do you guys have just one or two people who are who are working the iPads kind of like a like a checkout at a grocery store? Or is it just whoever it is that's interacting with customers grabs the iPad and, and does the transaction? We set up a table at the in one of the ends of our stand. And usually it's three to four people that are checking uh, three to four employees that are checking customers out. Um, sometimes I'm going through the line. If somebody just has bunched or bagged items, I can pick people out and say, all right, you don't have anything that needs to be weighed. That's $12. And I've got an apron with me. I can make change and make the line move a little bit faster. But um, not everybody has an iPad. It does take a little bit of time to train someone on an iPad or have somebody walking around with a list of prices or having a scale out in the stand somewhere to be able to use an iPad away from that designated table. Yeah, we have designated people that their job is just to talk to customers. I don't, I don't want them doing any stocking or cleaning up. I don't, I don't want them ringing people up. I just want them greeting customers, answering questions, offering them bags, those types of things. And then we have people that job is to stock and obviously help customers. They're not going to ignore people, but the checkout is its own function away from everything else. So to pivot back to talking about the wholesale marketing, I'm really interested in how you guys have reached out to the Chicago market because Chicago's how many hours away from you guys? About two and a half to three hours, depending upon the traffic. And of course you're talking about traffic in Chicago. And so, you know, and, and Chicago is not like, it's not like this nice compact little city where you can go do your deliveries and be done. That's a lot of ground to cover. So it sounded like from what you said earlier that you guys have actually set up with a, an arrangement where you've got somebody else who's actually managing getting your product up into Chicago. Right. So because we delivered a champagne, there is a company there that basically brings produce down from Chicago to central Illinois. So they're driving up there with limited items. So they've got almost an empty truck going up and we've arranged with them to take our product up. And it's been pretty economical for us to do that. And we don't have to mess with driving a vehicle around in the city. And some of our uh, customers up there, I haven't even met. Um, I just talk to them over the phone, depending upon who it is. Um, you know, most folks are just calling me or sending me an email or sending our packing, uh, our pack shed lead an email with what we have available, placing an order that way. Because sometimes, depending upon who the client is, there might be a little bit different pricing than what we're selling, uh, you know, kale at the co-op or kale to the co-op for. So, um, but anyway, we've also have a WooCommerce based online ordering system where somebody can just go on and see in real time what we have available for that week. And it's updated at least once a week to reflect what they could potentially order. Okay. So are you guys, the, the folks that are trucking stuff up to Chicago for you, are they distributing the product? Do they actually take possession of it and, and market it out from there? Or, or are you the one that's maintaining all those relationships? I guess 
that's a lot of questions all rolled into one about how this whole thing works from a logistical standpoint. Right. So we're ma- we're maintaining the relationships with our customers and our customers are contacting us or we're contacting them to get orders. And basically I'm just telling uh, central Illinois produce that, Hey, I need you to stop here, here and here for me this week. And when we drop things off, we put, you know, those three orders on separate pallets and put the invoices in, shrink wrap them on the pallet, and then they handle the delivery to those places. Sometimes they're going there anyway to maybe drop something else off uh, from another location. But it's still maintained. It's not Central Illinois Produce products. It's Prairie Farm products, and Central Illinois Produce is just the, the company that's doing handling the delivery for us. Right. You're essentially cross-docked through that operation. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And because we have other wholesale customers in Champaign-Urbana, we're going there anyway. And before we developed this relationship with Central Illinois Produce, we were using another farm who was stopping at our farm on their way to St. Louis. And then they would backhaul our product back to their farm, drop it off at the end of their route in their coolers, store it overnight, and then reload it in the morning when they went to Chicago. And there was a higher expense for us because of the convenience of them just coming to the farm. So it's really worked out well to further this relationship with Central Illinois Produce to have a more economical way to get our products to Chicago since they're already going up there, not full. How did you develop your relationship with Central Illinois Produce? Because it seems like something here in the Madison area or up in the Twin Cities in Minnesota, you know, that that there's a lot of local foods activity going on. You guys are kind of down in central Illinois, not exactly the organic and local hotbed of the universe. <laughs> How did you guys go about reaching out to these folks and, and getting, getting them on board with what you needed to have happen? The relationship with central Illinois produce stemmed off of trying to get product up to another potential customer, but the bottleneck was the price of handling things on a case-by-case basis. This customer provided me with the contact information for Central Illinois Produce, and we did a three-way call and basically introduced ourselves. And um, from there, uh, I just communicated directly with Central Illinois Produce. They, one time, were able to come to the farm directly and pick things up, but that was uh, a little bit of a, a little bit too big of a hassle. And uh, we just continued to work at it and communicate about how we could make it easier for both of us. And you know, that was when we actually started talking about where their location was. And it was just down the street from the co-op that we were going to once a week anyway. So that's how we started bringing things directly to them instead of having them come directly to the farm or trying to work something out where we meet somewhere along their route to exchange things. So it was really, it was, I mean, I, I might just say it's a, it, it sounds like it's a win-win for everybody, right? You had a customer who was, who said, Hey, I've, I'm already getting stuff. I already have a pre-existing relationship with this operator. And, and so mm-hmm. that operator had an interest in keeping that customer happy. And, and that just kind of, you just worked that relationship. Exactly. When you're delivering stuff then to central Illinois produce to put on their truck, are you guys breaking up the orders ahead of time so that, so that, that, you know, they know what boxes are going where or how, how exactly does that work? Well, obviously each box has a label on it with uh, what 
you know, wh where the box is from. So it's got our farm name on it, and then it says where it's going to. When we deliver things, we break stuff up by stop. So the co-op's in one stack, Central Illinois Produce is in another stack, and there might be two or three different orders in the Central Illinois Produce stack. And when John is doing the deliveries, he just separates it if things are going three different directions, sets up three different pallets, and separates them out at Central Illinois Produce, puts them on the pallets, shrink wraps them with the invoice in there, and makes sure that whoever is there at the receiving dock is aware of where they need to be going and passes an invoice off to them. Right. So you're at, you're setting up the orders for Central Illinois Produce. So they're not doing any sorting and, and having to go, oh, I need to take two beets off of this stack to take to restaurant A and one beet off of the stack to take to restaurant B. That stuff, that sorting is already taken care of for them. Correct. So I'm curious what kind of volume you're doing through that route. I mean, if, if you're talking about separating orders out onto pallets, I mean, are we talking three boxes or are we talking 20 boxes on a pallet? Yes. Okay. Sometimes <laughs> there may only be sometimes there may only be three boxes on a pallet, but that's how they load things onto their truck. And it just kind of shows, you know, how well this relationship, in my opinion, is working because they're empty going up to Chicago or relatively. So they do have room to do things like that. All right. With that, we're gonna stop here. Take a quick break, get a word from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with Hans and Katie Bishop from Prairie Earth Farm in Atlanta, Illinois. The Farmer to Farmer podcast is sponsored by Farmer's Web, software for your farm. Farmer's Web makes it easy to work with your buyers, saving you time and increasing the number of buyers your farm can work with overall. Use the software to inform your buyers about your farm, your product availability, delivery days, pickup locations, and more. With Farmer's Web, your customers can place their orders online, or you can enter them for buyers who place their orders by text, phone, or email. You can define payment terms for different buyers, give select buyers special pricing, and generate pick lists, packing slips, and product catalogs for your customers. You can keep track of payments that you receive by check or COD, or buyer payments by credit card go right into your bank account. Farmers Web can even help you coordinate deliveries with neighboring farms. You can pause, cancel, or switch plan types from month to month at any time, even during the off-season. FarmersWeb.com And perennial support for the Farmer to Farmer podcast is provided by Vermont Compost Company. Vermont compost potting soils are a really special product. I use Vermont compost fort via as a blocky mix and potting soil for over 12 years on my farm, and we grow great transplants with it. I mean, really great transplants, year after year, and we save time, money, and management hassles compared to mixing our own. At a time in the organic movement, when we're seeing more and more companies jumping on the organic bandwagon, Vermont compost is a reminder of the art and craft of making a great organic potting soil. One thing I've always appreciated about Vermont compost is their ability to put out a consistent product year after year after year. And in something that's a subject of as many variables as market farming, it's nice to have something you can count on. VermontCompost.com. And we're back with Hans and Katie Bishop from Prairie Earth Farm in Atlanta, Illinois. So you mentioned that you guys are farming on family land and that you're part of a larger farm where Hans's dad is growing row crops and, and some livestock. Tell us a little bit about coming back and, and starting up the vegetable side of the operation. When did you guys Come back and, and start making that happen. 2009 was when we planted our first uh, seeds. And uh, yeah, I mean, we, we had been interested in local food and organics and stuff like that for maybe a year or so before. Um, and we had 
like I said before, we were working at State Farm. We worked there for, I worked there for about 10 years. Katie was about 15 years. And over the last couple of years that we both worked there, we were spending a little bit more time coming out to the farm and just seeing what was going on. Because when I left, when I graduated high school, it was for the most part still a conventional farm. And, um, you know, wasn't, we, we always had livestock on the farm. So we always had cows, and chickens, and stuff like that. But we were still, my dad was still doing it, uh, you know, conventionally at that point. And um, it was right around that time that we began to transition. So it, it was just, it was just new again. And it was a whole lot different than what I remembered it as a kid. And uh, we really, really fit right in there. And my dad had a lot of patience with me. He taught me a lot of things that maybe I didn't remember from when I worked on the farm as a kid. And um, he's definitely been a big mentor in my life. So um, really made the transition coming back really easy. And it was having vegetables on the farm was something that he always wanted. Uh, he actually was sick. Uh, sometime in the summer of, I think, 09. And that was when I got a little bit of time off of work to help take care of him. I had to do some of the chores that needed to be done while he was seeing doctors and stuff like that. So at that point, I was really just like, Katie, this is, I know this is what I want to do. And I really think we should give it a shot. So the following year was when we started doing the farmer's market in Bloomington. And, um, well, we still worked full-time uh, at State Farm. And Hans, when did you come onto the farm full-time? When were you able to leave your State Farm job? Uh, I quit in 2011, um, about this time, I believe, in the season. And um, that was also when we started our CSA. So the reason why we were able to, the reason why I was able to quit in the first place was really because we were able to recruit 30 very uh, willing to take a risk CSA members on someone who had a full season under their belts, but not necessarily full time or on a huge scale. But you know, like I said, I think because I've been able to have mentorship from my dad and also a lot of other local farmers who uh, were willing to share their ideas as well with me, um, we're able to really take off very quickly. So when Hans came back and started farming in 2009, was this something that you guys decided that you were going to do together, that this was, this was a direction that you were both going to go and wanted it to be a full-time gig for both of you? I think it was just a natural choice that Hans would go first. He had the, the production knowledge um, to get us started. And so I stayed back and worked full-time uh, so that we could have health insurance and, and save back some money and just know that we could do it, you know, and not risk, risk our house and everything like that. And at this time you guys were not living out at the farm. Right. No. Yep. We had a, we had a condo in Bloomington and we would commute. How was that? I mean, I can think in some, in some ways that feels like that would be kind of nice, but in, in other ways I can imagine that being off the farm was hard. In, in retrospect, I don't know. It, at the time when we were living in, in town and commuting to the farm, it seemed like, you know, it was the cause for all the stress and drama. It was the worst possible thing. We couldn't wait to get out to the farm. 
um, it would make our lives so much easier, you know, once we got out to the farm. And, and, and to be honest, that is true, except there were some really nice parts about being able to just leave it behind and go home, you know, and, and living in town allowed us to be a lot more social because when we're working out here, you know, it's just us, where it's just us and our employees and, and we're not super social. And so once we live out in the country now, you know, our free time is spent um, watching, watching Netflix and because it's harder, you know, we're tired. We don't want to drive back into town to, to hang out with friends. And so, I don't know, there, there was a, there needs to be a balance between living out in the country and being so isolated and being surrounded by your work 24 seven, but it is a lot easier um, to have it so accessible too. Now, Katie, when did you come onto the farm full time? Uh, it was uh, two years ago, like this week, two years ago. It was the best day of my life. <laughs> <laughs> You're supposed to say that about your getting married. Oh, shoot. Yes, that was, that was true. They're, they buy equally there. <laughs> so I've been wanting this for a really long time. Two years ago would put us in February of 2015. How did you guys know that it was time to bring Katie into the farm operation full time? Well, uh, we, it was two things. When the Affordable Health Care Act uh, was passed, it allowed us to have access to affordable health care. And that made a huge difference in being able to leave my job. Because at that time, we were really just holding on to my health insurance benefits. Um, but we had also known that this was coming. I, w- I, had been, I had been preparing and pushing for it for a really long time. I was really, really unhappy at my job. And so we spent the last six months taking my paycheck and putting it into the bank because we wanted to make sure that what we were making at the farm could pay our bills. You know, we, we lived, um, we didn't, we did not live very extravagantly during that time, but we wanted to have that safety net. So once we built up about six months of my income, plus we had access to insurance, we felt like that was the time to, to take the leap. And how did that change go? Was that a smooth transition for you? Financially, it was extremely smooth. I think we were scared about what would happen, but the truth is we made it work. That's one of the great things about farming. You know, if if we need to sell a little bit of extra, you know, eggs or we need to make up the difference somewhere we can. Um, So that was wonderful. That wasn't that scary, but it was very difficult to go from Hans and I spending, you know, eight, nine hours apart and then coming together in the evening to talk about our day to spending 12, 14 hours together constantly and, and determining who was, who was, you know, quote unquote, the boss. (laughs) We're still trying to figure that out actually. But um, yeah, that part was very challenging. It still is actually finding my role on the farm and how I fit in has been kind of difficult, but it's getting easier. Um, The first year I thought it was never going to get better last year. I could tell it was getting easier. So I'm pretty hopeful that, that it will be even more smooth in 2017. So what have you guys done to, to smooth things out, to, to help you find your role on the farm and to, and to figure out how this new facet of your relationship works? I guess always Therapy. trying to, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say communicate. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Yeah. But I mean, really, really the therapy helps with that. So it's kind of intertwined. Yeah. So we, we really try to communicate and we had no idea even how difficult that was going to be in the first season that Katie was here. Um, so this past year, we we started 
working with a therapist that really helped us develop some good ways to communicate more effectively with each other because that's really what a lot of it was about trying to figure out where my jurisdiction stopped and Katie was responsible or you know how to work through a problem if if somebody doesn't bunch the beats correctly where is each person responsible or is it just one person that's responsible so just working through right. things like that and having somebody else who's neutral and you know discussing those problems helped out a lot and really i i would imagine focusing on strategies rather than resolving individual situations right but also just a way to get your emotions out i mean i remember the first year um you know i was so frustrated with employee management or so frustrated with the rain it wouldn't stop raining and i was i you know when you work in a corporate environment every procedure every system is beta tested you know you, you're set up so it's really hard to fail and at the farm, that's not the case. You know, we were failing left and right, it felt like. There was so much stress. And I can't, I couldn't express that in the moment to my employees. So if I was, you know, if I was really, really frustrated that the beets were still dirty at the market or if they weren't bunched correctly or something was coming in to the market really dirty or the count for the CSA was off, I couldn't, you know, throw a tantrum and scream and yell in front of my employees. But that's how I was feeling inside. And so I would take it out on Hans because Hans was safe to me. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think I really understood the stress that he was dealing with out in the field on his own and then to have to shoulder mine as well. So just having someone who has nothing to do with the farm, just listen to me talk about how stressful it is and, and be able to vent about those things um, kind of creates that safe place that we needed. Now, we haven't really talked about this um, up to this point, but, you know, I've been working with both of you in a consulting capacity for, I think it's like three years now. I think it was actually before Katie came onto the farm full time. It's, it's so long that I can't, can't exactly remember, but, but one of the things that we we've, we've spent a lot of time working on is employee management and, and relationships with employees. And, you know, Katie, you were just talking about how that can be a challenge, especially when things aren't going right. You know, when you've got dirty beats at farmer's market or the counts off at your CSA packing time. What have you guys done? How, how have you, I guess I'd, I'd be interested to hear you talk about your growth in that area and, and how you guys are, are managing employees better now than you were three years ago or five years ago. Well, a lot of it has come through the use of your forms that you introduced to us. And, um, you know, five years ago, it was a verbal, we need to get 24 bunches of green kale, 15 lastinato kale. And, you know, what, whatever else. And I was expecting people to remember that. And it's no wonder that, you know, count was off when we got to the CSA. Um, now, our packing manager, uh, John, takes care of coordinating the wholesale orders. We communicate as far as what we need to bring to the farmer's market. And then he compiles all that information together. So because he's packing all those things, he kind of knows where things need to be going and that helps, but he's also got it written down and he can effectively delegate somebody to go pack the kale. And we try to teach our employees how to read a harvest log or a post harvest log um, so they can figure out where everything needs to go or how many bunches of kale that they need to pick. And it doesn't always have to result in a phone call or to me to say how many bunches was that again or we're sending people back out because they didn't get 
five bunches of kale. So um, those those things we've, as far as harvesting and whatnot, have really helped in that realm. Um, so in the field, we've also tried to use some of you know your your tips that are that that I believe are really effective. One of those is the check in after 15 minutes and 30 minutes because it it really is true that if you leave somebody alone for 15 minutes, you don't really have too much time to screw something up, but you can definitely see how things are progressing. And maybe I should backtrack a little bit to even before that, I try to do the task for a little bit to show them what weeding the carrots actually looks like and to show them why it needs to be done this way when we're going out to weed carrots or with the greenhouse, you know, we get, we got a new transplanter and it's really important that all the plugs are completely filled to the bottom. So the plants will be effectively transplanted the way we need them to be. So I will fill a few trays, show them um, what it should look like when you fill a flat. And then maybe I work somewhere else in the greenhouse for a little bit, but then I come back 15 minutes later or so and check in. You know, maybe it's a little bit longer if they've been doing it for a while, but um, you know, just trying to keep tabs on people at crucial time increments is important, I believe. Um, so there's time to correct it before something really goes awry. Great. Hey, thanks. Thanks for the plug there, Hans. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know that, that one of the other things that you guys have worked on is kind of, is, and, and you talked about this earlier, is this, this dividing up of areas of responsibility in particular between you and Katie. Um, how have you gone about that? How, how have things ended up? being split up on your farm? So originally there was no, there was no division. I just was kind of part of the team, um, but I didn't really like that. I wanted to have some type of control over my work, you know? And so then it was going to be that I was going to manage the greenhouse. Um, but, but then that didn't really pan out. <laughs> so now what I, what I oversee is the pack shed. So I work with our pack shed lead to make sure things are coming in and being being handled in the right way and stored in the right way. And I'm working with the customers, but I'm also doing a lot of the back end work in the office. That's pretty much all me, whether it's, um, you know, bookkeeping and taxes and payroll uh, and all the marketing I handle as well. Um, managing employees it's a little bit tricky because I'm not always out there with them. So I don't know exactly what's always going on out in the field. And so sometimes my, my staff knows more about what's going on in the field than, than I do. But, um, but we work through that. And Hans, he definitely is handling all the production side of things. Um, and he oversees our crew leader and, and pretty much all the staff. Katie, you mentioned that things didn't work out. Uh, for you managing the transplant production, why not? Uh, because Hans and I were both working in there together. I mean, that's what that was a task that we had to work side by side with with our team. And um, I didn't know a lot about what I was doing. I had just started, 
working on the farm full time and Hans had systems in place already and he knew exactly how things should be done. And so I kind of just let him take it on because he was valuable in that position more so than I was. Just last weekend, as, as we're recording this, not, not of course as it goes live, but um, I was at the Wisconsin Organic Vegetable Growers Conference here in Madison and I was talking about farm life balance. And I actually had a couple of people come up to me and want to talk about the issue of, of farmer's wife syndrome, I think was the, the label they put on it as, as being this idea that, that somehow the work that, that the woman does on the farm is oftentimes less valued, even though it's as critical to getting the operation done as what the, as what the man's doing. Have you guys, have you found that to be an issue on your farm? Do you feel like people view you as, as Katie, a full partner and, and farmer at Prairie Earth Farm? No, I don't. I mean, I, I think it's a, it's a work in progress. And I, Hans and Hans's dad, Dave, they try really hard to make sure that I feel like I am part of it. But it is definitely a challenge with the employees. They don't necessarily know what I'm doing in the office. Um, so I don't think they always understand my contributions. You know, and I'm not, I, I don't sit there and list them all out. You know, on Monday morning meeting, I'm not sitting there telling them the hundred things I'm doing in the office. Um, and sometimes it's hard because they don't, I don't think people understand the hours that we work. So just because, um, just because I'm not out there in the field every single day, you know, doesn't mean that I'm not working until 11 o'clock at night, typing the, the CSA newsletter or returning emails. And so that's kind of challenging, but I always joke around. I, I wrote a blog. Uh, I had a blog when we first started farming called the farmer's wife, because that's how I was introduced. It was never, this is Hans and Katie, they're farmers. This is Hans and this is his wife, Katie. You know, this is Hans, he farms, and this is his wife, Katie. Or, um, I mean, that, that happens all the time. And, and to a certain degree, that was kind of true at the beginning because Hans did do almost all of the farming and I was still working full time. But now that's not the case at all. And I, I kind of resent it. But I think people's minds are being changed when they actually see how much work goes on out at the farm. You know, I mean, it's also just reminding myself of the value that I'm bringing and trying not to worry about what, what other people think. Cause I know I'm working my butt off. Like I know I'm exhausted at the end of the day because not because I haven't been doing anything, but because I've been making contributions to the farm, you know, and sometimes I just have to worry about how satisfied I am and not worry about what everybody else is thinking. I mean, I certainly, we certainly couldn't grow 15 acres of vegetables without Katie's contributions and things wouldn't be as organized as they are on the other side of things in the office if it was me running the show. And that's not my strong point. And that's what makes us such a good team is because I'm able to do what I'm good at and Katie's able to connect with customers and do what she's good at and work with me on things, not necessarily together, but work with me. And we're both using our strengths and making the farm a better place or yeah, making the farm a better place. So to turn and talk just a little bit about production, uh, you guys have expanded and grown a lot during the time that I've known you. And I, I don't remember the exact, the exact acreages, but you've made a lot of changes on the farm during that time. And, and I'd like to hear just a little bit about 
about how you've gone about growing the farm over the last couple of years, especially, you know, bringing on another person full time does mean that you generally are going to be expanding your production in order to accommodate and create the income to support that person's wages or that person's needs for living expenses from the farm operation. So how have you gone about doing that? Yeah. So a lot of it has been through mechanization and obviously growing up on a corn and soybean farm, things are pretty much completely mechanized. Nobody's out there shoveling grain by hand. So at any rate, um, I guess I've, I've always felt comfortable around uh, machinery and stuff and trying to find ways to make things more efficient that way, both for you know, a profitability standpoint, but also from our employee standpoint of not being on their hands and knees all day transplanting lettuce or onions or something like that has been important, I believe, in order to retain and attract um, you know, good, good help. So, um, you know, that's one strategy, you know, this past season was the first time we used the, uh, Scott Viner, um, carrot harvester. And I think that that's probably one of the most valuable tools that, you know, helped contribute to our growth over the last few years. Fruit storage was one way that we tried to, um, you know, add on, um, some additional revenue was selling selling produce year round. So at the end of the year, we wound up with this huge push two days before it's going to be 15 degrees in first part of November, trying to get all these carrots, beets, radishes, you name it out. And this past year, it was such a relief to have less time invested in more crops and happier people because they weren't out there pulling carrots up, ripping tops off, putting them in bags, lugging the bags around and stuff like that. So uh, I guess that's one way that we have approached that aspect. How have you decided where you're going to make those investments in automation? I mean, there's, there's lots of things you can automate on the farm. I mean, starting this week with seeding onions, right? You could be, you could be automating flat filling. You could be automating seeding all the way like you just mm-hmm. described through harvest, really putting in the the money and the effort on on getting that FMC, that Scott Viner root digger working. Um, mm-hmm. How have you how have you picked and chosen where to make those investments? Um, I guess just trying to keep track of where people have been unhappy doing jobs in the past, or where jobs seem to be a little bit too tedious. Um, so you, you mentioned seeding. Um, so this past year was our first year of doing complete plug flat system before we were doing a few flats and soil blocks and it was really difficult to manage it. So I guess streamlining things a little bit more so we don't have two systems going on in the greenhouse simultaneously was one way to kind of help that out a little bit, but we have a vacuum seeder from Carolina greenhouses that basically seeds a whole flat at a time. And I think we did 20,000 onions last year in about, um, it was about a day with three people working on it. So I I think that's, I think that's pretty good. Um, We've tried to make things a little bit more routine or develop systems for things. So after um, the flat is seeded, 
one person's putting vermiculite on it, then they're giving it a water, putting it straight into the germination chamber, and we're not trying to rearrange the greenhouse five different times to find enough space on heat mats to put things and having good equipment has really helped us streamline those things. So once we get to the field, we take as many transplants out on a hay rack as we can, use the um, mechanical 5,000 to put them in. And then we also had purchased a hydro weeder a couple years ago, which has helped uh, control weeds if they get a little bit out of hand so somebody can be riding on that. Definitely really easy to weed a 300-foot row of brassicas that are planted about 18 inches apart in about three minutes. So, you know, things like that have just really helped making and, and boosting employee morale, getting people interested and in staying on for multiple seasons, which has really been key because we're not wasting time uh, retraining everybody at the beginning of the season. I like how you tie all that together. I mean, it's it's not just a matter of making the investment or saving the labor. It's about making the investment and putting together the systems, figuring out where you can use some automation to make that work, and then using that actually as a lever point with your employees to, have, to increase their job satisfaction so that they're more likely to come back that second year. I like that. And I, I want to say one more thing, too, because I, I know I've heard you talk about how when you ran the Moses conference, people would complain about how expensive that it was. But you always say, you know, if you get, if you get one single tip from that, you know, it, it can really pay for the conference admissions. Plus me, the um, networking is invaluable, but to be really specific about that. So last year I took an organic university course with Steve Pincus from Tippy Produce and Adam Kolop from Loon Organics. And one little thing that I saw that I felt could really change things specifically pertaining to transplant production was the way Adam put two um, three-quarter inch metal conduit pipes together and a small two-by-two square piece of wood, put a uh, tech screw through, and you've got this 10-foot long contraption of two parallel EMT conduit pipes that can hold 10 flats of plants. You put one person on each end and two people can carry 10 flats out of the greenhouse at a time. And you can do, you can get things out of the greenhouse a lot faster. You can move things from greenhouse to greenhouse if you have to and put them straight onto a bench instead of trying to carry two flats at a time from greenhouse to greenhouse or to a hay rack, and if you're lucky, you won't drop one. So, you know, just a little a little tip like that, I think, is a fantastic way to really tie pieces of a system together. Well, and of course, I mean, one thing like that, if it saves you, if it saves you five hours at ten dollars an hour, you know, you've you've just paid, you've you've made fifty extra bucks, right? And if it saves you. Mm-hmm. You know, now you get to use that again and again. So you use that a couple of times and you've paid for your organic university course, you know, over right. a period of years. Cause it's not like that knowledge gets used up and goes away. And I just think that's so important. No. Yeah. And so we'll, I'm going to try to get a picture of that so that just so that we can, can give a visual on, on that, that idea of, of creating those transplant uh, racks for carrying stuff out of the greenhouse. I love that idea. Cause that's such a bottleneck. And 
And the other thing, you know, when you when you talk about just those those quality of life things, and Katie talked about the frustration factor earlier. I mean, watching people carry flats out of the greenhouse, I don't think there was anything that made me more upset on the farm because it was it was always being done <laughs> under pressure, right? It's it's gonna it's always you know transplant time. There's always the pressures on, times of wasting. And, and you're watching people just do this fumbling job of get stuff out there. And you look at it and go, there has to be a better way to get this thing done. And for us, we put in a trolley in the greenhouse, but I love this low tech, uh, um, low expense solution that you've come up with that I think, again, is just, it, it takes away, it's not only something that speeds things up, but it makes it feel like Prairie Earth Farm has a stack together, you know, and makes it feel like a place that people want to be. I think that's really important. Yeah. All right. And with that, we're going to turn to our lightning brown. But first, we're going to get a quick word from one more sponsor, and then we'll be right back. This lightning round and perennial support for the Farmer to Farmer podcast is provided by BCS America. BCS two-wheel tractors are real farming equipment for real farmers. And with PTO-driven attachments like rototillers, flail mowers, rotary plows, power harrows, log splitters, snow throwers, even a utility trailer and a new water transfer pump, you've got the tools you need to get the jobs done across the farm and the homestead. On my own farm, we went through a number of so-called solutions for mowing and tilling before we finally got smart and bought a BCS. Even though we owned a four-wheel tractor to manage our 20 acres of vegetables, that BCS tackled jobs that we simply couldn't do with the larger machine, from mowing steep slopes and around trees to working in our high tunnels. Plus, they're gear-driven for years of dependable service. Check out bcsamerica.com to see the full line of tractors and attachments, plus videos of BCS in action. All right, and we're back, and it's time for the lightning round. So, Katie, I'm going to start with you. What's your favorite tool on the farm? Oh, this one is easy and probably pretty predictable, but it's my phone. Um, I use it, obviously, to take pictures. I'm on Facebook and Instagram and, and basically every single moment of my life I'm spent on my phone. So definitely my phone. Hans, what's your favorite tool on the farm? I guess if I had to pick one thing, it would be the toolbox because that's what we use in all of our refrigeration um we've insulated the front half of our market trailer so we can take trailer to market keep things cold and uh we're, we're able to pull out things at 11 o'clock just as fresh as they were at you know seven o'clock in the morning and we've been able to outfit shipping containers with two 24,000 btu air conditioners able to keeps things cold. It's really helped a lot, say, in the summertime when we have to pull a ton of lettuce or a really hot spell. It's going to bolt, and uh, we're able to hold lettuce over, you know, just as an example, I guess, but we're able to hold lettuce over longer than we were before, and without our refrigeration and cool box specifically, I guess, we would not be able to do what we do. Right. It makes it so you're not having to harvest all of your lettuce for farmer's market on Friday morning and ship it out on Saturday. You, it gets you some more flexibility in how you manage your harvest and your inventory. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, Katie, what one thing do you think that most farmers should do to improve their farmer's market stands? Uh, get off your phone and don't eat. Be ready to talk to your customers. I and mean, this is all one thing. I know it sounds like it's more than one, but just be accessible to your customers at your market. If you're on your phone, uh, you're giving off a message that you're not interested in connecting with your customer. And I see a lot of people make this mistake. So smile and be excited to be there and don't be on your phone. Hans, what's your favorite crop to grow? I really like to grow carrots. Um, 
really like to get into the rhythm of planting them every three weeks during the season and it's exciting to harvest them, especially when we got the FMC Scott Viner working this fall. Very rewarding after a challenging year of growing things to be able to see the carrots roll up the belt, get topped and come out the back ready to go in the cooler. Now, Katie, I know you're not so involved in the, the growing side of things, but what's your favorite crop to wash, pack, and sell? Tomatoes, I think. Heirloom tomatoes specifically. Definitely not cherry tomatoes. Um, <laughs> heirloom tomatoes because I personally find them to be absolutely delicious, and I we don't eat tomatoes at all over the winter, not fresh tomatoes. So when the first ones come, I'm ready to just eat them all, and I don't want to share them. But I really love to sell them because, we, our customers just completely freak out when the first tomatoes come and we'll have lines of people, 30 people deep just to get tomatoes. And it's really fun to see that much enthusiasm for something that you worked really hard for. So that's my answer, tomatoes. Tomatoes are a great conversation starter too. Really? Well, people ask like, hey, what's the difference between this tomato and this tomato? So you've got an opportunity to talk to your customer if you've got so many different varieties of tomatoes and then you can say, Oh, they're, these are great with, you know, a bunch of basil and some cilantro. So then you have an opportunity to, you know, sell a little bit more at the market. Right. Or maybe that would be better. Green tomato ripe? <laughs> well, no, like, the, right. like a green is a green Cherokee tomato. Is it ripe? Or the biggest one, the biggest two questions are, did you grow these? And, uh, why are they so expensive? <laughs> and we and we know that you grew them, right? You guys do grow everything that you sell, but but why are they so expensive? I mean, is there? Uh, maybe that's a dumb question. I think anybody that grows them knows. No, I I um I am not afraid to describe the growing practices and what it takes to bring those tomatoes to market. You know, and the investment in the hoop house and the you know hand picking tomato hornworms off and that um, that they each have to be trellised, you know, every week and all of that. I mean, everything that goes in from starting it to a seed and to what it takes to get there. And then when we're talking about heirloom tomatoes, I can tell them how many get thrown in the compost pile because of cracks and that I can't even bring. I don't know if it makes them feel any better, but I feel better telling them that. <laughs> well, in some ways, when, when you're faced with that question, that's really the important part. Right. <laughs> So Hans, what are you going to be doing differently on the farm this year? Well, I think one thing that we're going to be a lot more intentional about another, I guess, suggestion from you is meeting with our management team uh, on a more regular basis and not just meeting or discussing problems that arise, but also trying to, you know, just discuss how are you feeling and how are, how, how are things going? And, you know, like I said, not, not making it, not making a meeting a negative thing because in the past we haven't been super good at that. Usually when we have a meeting, it's because there's a problem with the beet bunches or the kale bunches, or there's a problem that's already there. And at that point it gets to be a little bit difficult to, um, you know, have a positive resolution in that situation. So kind of a way for, for being able to head things off at the pass rather than waiting until they've swelled into a bigger problem. Exactly. Mixing my metaphors there. So sorry about that. So Katie, if you could go back in time and tell your beginning farmer self one thing, what would it be? 
I think that I would tell myself not to be so afraid uh, to to leave State Farm sooner. Um, that that I have everything it takes to do this, and and not wait so long to have left my job at State Farm. Uh, so that's, that's that's one. The other one is that I think when I got into this, I didn't really understand the commitment that the farm was going to take. Um, I didn't understand that I wouldn't get 4th of July off or that I wouldn't be taking vacations in the summer when everybody else was. Um, I didn't understand how the farm always comes first in so many instances. And that was really hard for me to accept. So I think if I could go back and just, you know, tell myself that it wasn't going to be growing flowers and sitting under the tree and, you know, just this really hippie ideal of what, of what organic farming was. I didn't realize how much work and, and commitment it was. So I don't know that it would have changed my mind, but I think I would have had my expectations set at the beginning and it wouldn't have been such a struggle to try and adjust. Hans, how about you? Don't be afraid to try a different way of doing things. And the way that you're first taught may not be the way that you wind up doing a specific task in the future and just be open to new ideas of how to do something. So. I always approach a situation with a pretty open mind now, and I'm always interested to see or hear how somebody does something and maybe try to take a little something away from that and learn from that uh, experience. Hans and Katie, you know, just one more thing that, that I haven't said directly to you. I did mention it in the, in the introduction to the podcast, but Congratulations on your selection as the Moses Organic Farmers of the Year. That's a really big deal. And thanks, Chris. I think it's awesome. Thanks. Yeah, this is a dream come true. Very much. Thank you so much for being part of the Farmer to Farmer podcast today. Thank you for asking us. It was so much fun. All right. So wrapping things up here, I'll say again that this is episode 107 of the Farmer to Farmer podcast. And then you can find the notes for this show at farmer to farmer podcast.com by looking on the episodes page or just searching for Bishop. That's B-I-S-H-O-P. The transcript for this episode is brought to you by Earth Tools, offering the most complete selection of walk-behind farming equipment and high-quality garden tools in North America, and by Growing for Market, where you can get 20% off your subscription with the code PODCAST at checkout. You can get the show notes for every Farmer to Farmer podcast right in your inbox by signing up for my email newsletter at farmertofarmerpodcast.com. And I'm not going to do this for everything that comes along, But the National Young Farmers Coalition is asking farmers all across the country to weigh in on the issues that matter the most to them so that we can advocate for policy solutions in the next farm bill. Their 2011 survey was essential to sustainable agricultural victories in the 2014 farm bill, and it's time for up-to-date data on the needs of young and beginning farmers in the U.S. Go to youngfarmers.org slash survey to weigh in. Your voice matters. Also, Please head on over to iTunes and leave us a review if you enjoy the show or talk to us in the show notes or tell your friends on Facebook. We're a Purple Pitchfork on Facebook. And hey, when you talk to our sponsors, please let them know how much you appreciate their support of a resource that you value. You can support the show directly by going to farmertofarmerpodcast.com slash donate. I'm working to make the best farming podcast in the world and you can help. And speaking of help, I'd like to start a tractor in thanks to Simon Ziegler and Scott Snodgrass for their support of the show. Finally, please let me know who you would like to hear from on the show through the suggestions form at farmer to farmer and I'll do my best to get them on the show. 
Thank you for listening. Be safe out there and keep the tractor running.